Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. We are starting um, a new series today. We've concluded our series on the Holy Spirit. And, and for me personally, it was a great wake-up call again about how much I need the Holy Spirit in my life. Uh, to be able to function and do the work that God's called me to do. And I hope that it inspired many of you also um, from, from a, a theological, foundational way all the way through to experiencing Him. Um, that, it's, that it's not just a, a thing that's happening, but there's 100% biblical foundation for us to want to desire to have the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I hope that inspired you also to dive deeper into it, to open yourself up more um, I know that God's, He's got all of us on a journey. None of us are on the same pace and at the same speed. And I'm thankful that He takes His time with us, uh, that He doesn't try and rush us over or try to push us too quick, too fast. He knows exactly what the right time is for us. We're starting the series, and the series is called God's Alarm Clock. Um, now, um, I'll show the video next week because um, when I say alarm clock, most of us think of waking up in the morning. Or uh, it's, it's, uh, you wake up in excitement, or you wake up in, um, okay, I've, this is the last time I've snoozed it, I better get up right now, right? There's, there's no more postponing, like I have to get to this, uh, this is the alarm clock. But there's really good alarm clocks also. The one that you set for cooking, it's a great alarm clock. Like, that's one that you, like, you're ready for it to go off so that you can eat. Like, you want that thing to, to make the noise that it's supposed to make. Um, there's, there's alarm clocks that goes off when there's a fire. That's, it's not necessarily an alarm clock. It's more an alarm, but it's kind of like a clock. It ding, 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 ding. It dings. Um, and th- there are certain things regarding, we find in the Word, where God's alarm clock is going off for us as believers. And I want to tell you, for us who are in the kingdom, it is super exciting. To know that, that there are timers going off. There are signals that's indicating to us our Messiah is returning. There are signals saying that Jesus is coming back. And for us in the, who's already believers, that is an exciting, exciting prospect to knowing that my Savior is returning soon. So we're going to look at some of that throughout the process. We're going to talk about heaven. Because um, I do think... If I had to put out a questionnaire in this group of people, all of you are fantastic and incredible scholars on heaven. Um, I think most of us would answer incorrectly what we think heaven is, how it's going to happen, what's going to be there. And, and the good part for us as an indicator is, is that when we die, we have a place to look forward to. Um, and when your alarm clock goes off and your life on earth is done, um, there's something for you to look forward to. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about some of the signs that we see that's happening in our world right now. And what are the indicators for us who believe in God? What does it mean to us? There's a time to flee to the mountains. No, we're not fleeing anywhere. Don't sell anything. Um, <laughs> we know a few people that have looked at certain dates, end of the world, right? End of the world. So they sold everything. 
and then it wasn't. Um, and then they bought the stuff back again. And then three years later, they heard another prophecy from another guy. It's the end of the world on this date. And then they sold everything again and very disappointed that it, it wasn't, again, the end of the world. And they moved back from the mountains again. We are not called to move to the mountains. Um, we, we have a Savior that is victorious in this time. There's nothing for us to fear during this time period that we are living in. God's alarm clock for us as believers is going off, and it's a good sound. It's a sweet sound for us. So, so we're going to look at that. Um, there is a book that's called um, Predictions for the Next Millennium. So while, you know, part of my studying is always trying to find stuff that is kind of strange and odd and weird. So, so, so the, this is one of those books, Predictions for the Next Millennium. And, and uh, these are predictions that are made by celebrities, and they, the, the whole book is about what they predict will happen in the next thousand years. So these are celebrities. Some of them are politicians. Some of them are statesmen. Some of them are musicians. Others are actors. Some of them are deep. Some of them are not so deep. Some of them are just downright funny when you look at what they think is going to happen. But some of them are very interesting. For, for an example, among the, among the predictions of what will happen in the next thousand, thousand years, one predicted that we will have one common language. I can see that. One common language. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be English. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just saying 1.7 billion currently has kind of the market on that. Um, there's going to be a common currency. You can see that coming. Someone else said that there's going to be a world government that will heal the planet. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> this one, uh, and it says, the, the, his prediction was the following. The Earth's politicians will be taking interplanetary economic lessons from alien beings to find out how to cooperate and operate a government without taxing people to death. Interesting. That was given by one of the original cast members of Star Wars. Jason, you're welcome. Worked a little Star Wars there in few, yeah. So knowing the future, knowing the future is a big business. It is a massive industry. From reading fortune cookies to uh, reading horoscopes, People have tried to create an industry. There is an industry, and it's no less than an industry in Canada Yearly, $2 billion is spent on it in Canada. Amazing. In Italy, $6 billion a year. Almost the same population size is spent on it. And with industry, what, what's included in that is palm reading, cardamancy, which is uh, predicting the future by using cards, mediumship, aura readings, and astrology. In fact, today... Today's been called a new era of astrology. They tell us there is a resurgence of astrology, uh, specifically astrology, specifically among millennials. Now, we know who millennials are. Most of us, <laughs> that's over 26 um, and under 48. Now, according to Atlantic Magazine, they write that, that millennials have taken astrology and they, they've run with it. And they feel that they are more stressed than any other generation before them um, and the ones after them also. And they're looking at astrology to cope. Now, here's the thing. Why is it that people have been so obsessed? And why are people so obsessed with the future? 
knowing the future. And it's, it's every generation. Doesn't matter how old you are, people would love to know more about the future. I found a quote by a psychologist that said the following. He said, one of the most powerful influences on fear is uncertainty. The less we know, the more threatened we feel. Because a lack of knowledge means we don't know what we need to know to protect ourselves. And he continues and he gives this illustration. I want you to try and picture this. You are driving down an old country road in a sports car. But one of those that was pre-airbag sports cars. And you are pushing it. It's going 105 miles an hour. Old country road. Driving fast, right? You're going. Risky business. Now what I want you to imagine is, is that you close your eyes driving down that road. Some of you would be able to go for two seconds before you open your eyes up. I think some of us might be able to go like a half a mile. The really risky ones would be able to go like maybe a mile. Why? We can't imagine going at that speed, that pace, without knowing what's lying ahead. And life is currently at a speed and a pace that feels like if we don't know what's going to happen next, we feel it's going to be reckless for us to continue down this path that we, are, that we are on. So we're trying to get as much information as we possibly can about what's around the next corner. What's ahead of us. We try and see as far down the road as we possibly can. So we, so, so we try to get information because we feel we need the information in order to survive. Knowledge, this psychologist, knowledge of the future, even if it's incomplete knowledge, is power. And if we don't know, we get afraid. This current climate that we're living in, in this world currently, and like, I, it feels like, it feels to me personally, like one of the most unstable, uncertain times that, that I've lived in, personally, we look at world economics, we look at finances, um, we look at cultural acceptance, non-acceptance things, things, it, everything feels like it's wavering. And people are scared, people are fearful. And they keep running to things to try and figure out what is going to happen next. Why? Because they are scared. Now, I, I have a question. Do you really want to know your future? Is the other side of this? Do you really want to know all the details of what's going to happen in your life? Now, most of us, we would go immediately, yes. But can you imagine if you know what's going to happen next week or the week after or a month from now or 10 years from now or 30 years from now and, and you know all the pain and the grief and the difficulties and, uh, yes, successes, but then uh, disappointments, bad decisions, wrong decisions. Oh, I took a wrong turn there. Oh, I kissed the wrong girl there. I made the wrong financial investment there. Oh, I did it again. Oh, I, I did it again. And, and, and if you can look and see all of that, but here's, the, here's the, the caveat. You can't change any of it. Yeah, can you imagine that? Knowing the future details, but not having the ability to make any changes to it. That's a scary thought. So God wisely withholds information from us 
so that we don't get overwhelmed by what's lying ahead of us. But looking at Daniel chapter 2, Daniel, he's a new guy. Um, <laughs> looking at Daniel chapter 2, I want to give you some, some certainties about your future. Because the Bible gives us certainties, gives believers certainties. There are things that we are sure of. So Daniel, Daniel, I keep saying it, what's up? Daniel chapter 2, um, it's, uh, if you know Daniel, it's, it's, a long, it's one of those long chapters, like 49 verses. We're not going to be able to read all of it, but I'm going to kind of tell you the story and, and you'll be able to track along with me. So it's the story about King Nebuchadnezzar. He's currently the world ruler. He rules the world. Like, seriously, it's not just a saying. This guy is king of the known world. That's a lot of authority and power. And then the story tells us that this guy, this king, is wondering about his future. He knows that one day he's going to die. And he's wondering what is going to happen with this world that I am ruling... What is going to happen with this world after I die? And that is the setting that Daniel, the prophet, finds himself in. So let's look um, at this, this um, chapter quickly, just some of the verses. Now, the first certainty that I want to give all of you, every single one of you, I want you to know this. The future is unknown to us from a human perspective. It's impossible for any human being to predict your future. Let's see if we can find some biblical references for that. Daniel chapter 1, we're going to, uh, chapter 2 verse 1. It says, now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, he had a dream. He had dreams. Not just one, many dreams. And his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. So picture a guy having a bad night's sleep. He wakes up, and like most of us, what you try to do, we adjust the pillows, check if the heat's right, go to the washroom, come back, prepare yourself for another two hours at least, right? You, you feel ready, you can go again. He does all of that, but he can't get back to sleep. Puts on the soft music. You know, he's king. He probably have people with leaves, like air conditioning him. You know, everything, everything is perfect, lights are down, puts on his little mask, um, Google, play um, white noise. Like, everything is perfect, but nothing, nothing happens. And what happens is he doesn't wake up refreshed. Sleep leaves him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. Man, I, I had such an, I want to say such an amazing, um, I want to say study time this week, just, just with the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. There is so much in there, which we won't get into today. We're going to actually get into that over Christmas, um, because they are actually part of the Christmas story, which is amazing. Um, so, so he calls all these people. Now, to be in the king's court, you are not just the average guy. You are not just the average magician. 
Right, you can pull that bunny out of a hat. You're not like one of those. You are the best in the area. You've been handpicked for this position. So, so the sorcerers, the astrologers, star readers, these guys are the best of the best. So they come and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I've had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. So the king has a weird set of dreams, and it's concerning him. He can't sleep. Sleep leaves him. God gives him a dream. Now, it says that his spirit was troubled. Now, you'd be able to, to recognize this word troubled. In Hebrew, it's the word pa'am. Pa'am means something that is persistently beating at you. It's like you, you can't get rid of it. It's like it's constantly, have you ever had the thing that constantly stays in your mind? You can't get rid of that thought. It's just constantly there. Uh, so he has this, this constant hammering that's happening in his thoughts. So while he was lying in bed at night, he woke up uneasy. He can't remember the dream. He remembers parts of it. So he calls his wise people, the wise men in the court. And he says to them, okay, I want you to tell me the dream. And I also want you to interpret the dream to me. Now, by the way, we're told that every night all of us dream. It's part of human nature. We all dream. It's something that's called the cortical stimulation that happens in every single one of us. So for Nebuchadnezzar, God is stimulating his mind because he wants to communicate something, not only to him, but he also wants to show his greatness to those around him. So because this happens to the king, the good news for the king is he's got the right people on payroll. Oh, thank you. He has uh, the people, their forte, their, their skill set is everything that he's worried about. This is what they specialize in. But then the musicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans, uh, these people, let's just say that we can call them the cream of the crop of the occults. If anybody could tell you a dream or tell you interpretation of the dream, they were able to do, do that. Dreams and omens was their forte. It's what they specialized in. Now, what they tell the king is this. The king says to them, okay, um, tell me the dream. They tell the king, okay, tell us the dream first and we will interpret it for you. And the king says, no, no, you're not going to fool me. I'm not going to tell you the dream or the details of it. You have to tell me what I dreamed. And then you have to tell me what it means. And if you don't, the language used there is awesome. I'm going to chop you up into little pieces. And I'm going to make your homes dunghills. I will turn your homes into public lavatories. Toilets. So the king is pretty upset by this dream doesn't sit well with him. So now in verse 10, it says, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Mark that. They finally admit it. These guys that specialized in fortune telling finally admits that they can't tell him what he dreamed because they knew if they just make something up, right, you can maybe try and wing it. So I see a girl. No? 
guy. Yes, it's a guy, right? Yeah, they can't wing the whole thing because they'll be chopped up. So, so they have to be honest and say, we have no idea. And there is not a man alive that can tell you that. No person on earth can do what you are asking us to do. We can't read your mind. We can't read your, your, your dreams. No person on earth can predict the future. We can do it. Therefore, they continue, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. Nobody on earth can predict the future. Now, I love what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 7. He says, when times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. So why is it that people keep trying to discover things about their future? Why is it that every generation people would do almost anything to predict their future? In Roman times they had this, this weird way, very interesting way of predicting the future. I can only describe it as prophecy by chicken. What they would do is, they would. this is literally their culture, they would put a, a hen in a cage and they would put food in the cage. Um, and if the hen ate it avidly and attacked the food enthusiastically, it was a very good omen. Things are going to go well. In my coop, the chickens are hungry. But in theirs, things are going to go well. It's a good omen. If the, if the hen ignored the food in the cage, it was a very bad sign. So it's a foul way to tell the future. <laughs> See what I did there? Yes, thank you. I'm here every Sunday. Um, now, now, there were many different ways. Uh, the Romans also had a way that, that was called hypotom hypotomancy. What they would do is they would kill an animal, they would cut out the liver of the animal, and then they would read the liver. Yeah, I mean, how can you tell a guy he's wrong? Reading a liver. <laughs> I don't know if that liver is saying that. Um, in modern day, you can probably read a liver for how much people have been drinking. You've been drinking too much. <laughs> yes. Now, <laughs> yeah, deliver. Now, however, in the United States and in Canada, U.S. stat, first of all, 125 million people believe in astrology. 125 million. So population of 350 million approximately. 125 million of them believe in astrology. 70 million people read their horoscopes every single day. Now, I know we have some horoscope readers in here. Please don't feel guilty at all or condemned. Not yet. <laughs> 70 million people every day read their horoscopes in the U.S. Now, here's the, the shocking fact. 7% of that... They have changed their behavior based on their horoscope. Things that they were going to do that day, they decided not to do it because the horoscope said, you know, you're going to walk past the field and, uh, you know, a cow's going to jump on you. And they're like, oh, I was going to plan to walk down that field. I'm not going to, I'm going to take the other route now because they're scared of cows. So 7%. So that's approximately 12 million people in the USA changing their behaviors based on a horoscope. In Canada, we way better. And by way better, I mean <laughs> there's more people doing it. <laughs> Our population, 37.5 million. Seven million people a day say they change their behavior based on horoscopes. That's a lot. Now, all of that to say, what these 
Chaldeans told the king is the future is unknown to us. So whoever is writing your newspaper horoscope, they do not know your future. No man knows your future. The fortune cookie printing machine does not know your future. They do not. Okay, so, so please keep that in mind. They have no authority, no power over you. They are not ruling you. They will not determine your path and your outcome of the day. No man. It's unknown to humans. Here's the second certain thing that you, you can know. Second certain thought. Even though the future is unknown to us, the future is well known to God. And Daniel knew that because in verse 15, um, I'll show you. So, so the king says, okay, you guys, um, I want you to tell me the dream. Tell me what it means, um, or I'll cut you into little pieces. I'll turn your houses into toilets. Um, and then what happens is the, the head of the king's army, the captain, his name is, um, I can't, how do I pronounce that? Arioch. Uh, Arioch. So, so he comes and he says, okay, Daniel, so there's been an edict. Um, I'm, I have to chop you up. And Daniel's like, whoa, what's going on? And he says, well, this is what happened. The king said he had a dream. You have to tell him the dream. You have to tell him what the dream means. The, the head magicians and astrologers and Chaldeans and all those, the head guys, they say they can't do it. And the king said that everybody who's currently in the court that is part of this group of people have to be chopped up. Now, Daniel and his friends were part of this group of people. So Daniel says, no, 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 wait. He went in and he asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Now, why is it that Daniel tells the captain to stop the king's edict? And why, why is it that he is so confident? Because what happens is right after he tells the, the captain, give me a moment, I'm going to go talk to the king. Goes to the king, says, give me a moment, I'm going to go talk to the king. Immediately after that, what Daniel does is he calls a prayer meeting. He's got his three buddies in there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what do they do? They start praying. And then in verse 16, it tells us why. That we might show the interpretation to the king. So, so what's going to happen now is I can't do it. But I'm going to pray to the God that can. So that I can show you how great my God is. How is he going to tell the king what the dream was and the interpretation is? Because God's going to tell him. In verse 19. The secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Now a vision is different than a dream. A dream happens in your sleep. A vision happens when you're awake. So, so Daniel, while he was awake one night, saw what the king had seen in a dream and the dream state. And it was a powerful vision that was displayed to him. Then it continues. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and he raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret. This is our God. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. I thank you and I praise you, God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the king's demand. 
God can do it. You see, God has a quality, He has an attribute, a characteristic that, that, that none, no human being have. God knows everything. There's nothing that is not known by Him. In Psalm 139, David said, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You have known my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all of my ways. There is not a word on my tongue. But behold, Lord, you know it all together. In other words, even before I think the thought, you know what's going on. You know what I'm going to think. You know my thoughts, they are far off. You know my words before I say them. That's how comprehensive God's knowledge is. God is an all-knowing God. And not just that, He's also an all-present God. There is no beginning and no end to Him. So the Bible portrays God as all-knowing. And, and He's omniscient. He knows everything. God's knowledge is immediate. It's comprehensive. It's without deterioration. None of us can relate to that. If I were to give you a test and say to you, go and study this test, you've got an exam coming up. Most of us will be able to probably write the exam pretty well because we just studied it three hours before. But if I ask you a week later about the test that you wrote, most of us, the knowledge would have deteriorated from our thoughts. It goes away quickly. But, but God's knowledge does not deteriorate. It's also immediate. It's not, let me just go research that. I'm going to go Google it first, and then I'll give you what I think about it. I want you to understand that when you speak to God, God does not need time to go and figure out what the answer is. And how to change the outcome of your life. He does not need a moment. He knows every moment, every day, every question. He has every answer. But are you asking? Because as believers, we can definitely say in our own strength, we can do nothing. But I serve a God who knows everything. And when we read the word and the instructions in his word, it is so amazing for us as believers that God has given us instructions on how to live life well. But we need to ask him, God, how do I apply all these principles to my life so that I can live a life that resembles you? And he'll tell you. But we have to go to him and ask him. So Daniel goes to God and God says, okay, I'm, I'm going to show you everything. And Daniel was, was depending on this. But he wasn't panicking and he's not poised. And I want to encourage you, don't panic or be anxious for anything. For your father knows. Daniel was confident, unruffled, because he knows God knows. That's why he says to Ariok, dude, cool your jets. Give me a little time. God's going to tell me all the stuff that the king wants to know. And I'll tell the king, the future is well known to God. The third thing that I want you to know is, let me give you a third certainty. The future is made known to us. Not in your own strength. Just like it was made known to Daniel. Daniel will now make it known to the king who had the dream. So in verse 26, it says, the king answered and said to Daniel, are you able to make known to me the dream which I 
um, have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king. He said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers could not declare to the king. Here's, here's our key thing. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. He has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days, the future, your dream. And the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came into your mind while you were on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he reveals secrets, has made known to you what will be. So Daniel stands before the king and says, they can't tell you about anything that you've dreamed. And I can tell you about anything that you've dreamed in my own strength. But there is a God in heaven who can. And a God in heaven who knows your future. He's revealed it to me. And I want to tell it to you. Now, here's the principle. God wants to make known to you, to us, the future. He does. Not all of it, as I said before, because I think most of it will be too overwhelming for us. But definitely parts of it. He wants to give us a limited amount of knowledge. And that's essential because when we look at biblical prophecy, it wasn't in full. It was 1,400 years of prophecy coming up to Christ. And every single one of those prophets had little bits and pieces of what will happen when the Messiah comes. Here's an example. He told Israel before it happened, you're going to go into captivity in Babylon. They did. Then he said, I'm going to bring you back. They came back. He announced that there would come a day when there is going to be a new ruler, a Messiah, the mega prophet, the deliverer. And the prophets told about his birth, his life, and his death, and his resurrection. The Bible reveals to us future judgment is coming one day. The Bible talks about that. Believers know this. Future judgment is coming. The rapture is coming one day. A great tribulation period is coming one day. Jesus will come back to earth one day. All these things are going to happen. He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. That's going to happen one day. That's going to happen in this eternal kingdom. Um, with, for us, we are going to see a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to happen. The future is given to us Revealed to us by God. And God's timing is perfect. But I also know that He has instructed us to be aware of what's going on around us. Don't be like, like an ostrich that sticks its head into the ground the moment they become fearful. Thinking that the danger is going to go away. Or be like those fainting sheep. I love the, I love the, the, the fainting goats. Right? They think the best way to get, get away from something that's going to harm them is to pretend that they're dead. And we know quite a few farmers. They always buy a few of these and they put them in the middle of the herd because the rest of the herd is running away and this guy plays dead. So then the animals just eat the one that's lying there because why would you chase another one? Right? It's logical. Listen. The timing, God's timing for us as believers, there are instructions in the words that we can track and see, listen, what time are we living in? 
And what is required of us as believers during this time? What does God want us to do? What are we supposed to stand on? What, what um, paths are we supposed to go down? And now just regarding your own future also, I honestly believe that not depending on our own strength and our own mind and our own wisdom, I, I do feel there's appropriate homework to do regarding work opportunities and, and relationships. And all. But I also believe there is the time of sitting in front of God and saying, God, is this your time for me? Is it your time for me to move? Is it your time for me to sell? Is it your time for me to date? Is it your time for me just to focus on what I'm, I'm supposed to do right now in ministry? God, is, what is your time for me? And, and I want you to know that God has got an alarm clock for every single one and every situation in our lives. That He's willing to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to set this for you. It's been set for you already. If, if you look and if you listen, you'll hear that my timing is going off. It's time for you to rise up. It's time for you to step into ministry. It's time for you to bring the change that's needed. Some of you are sitting here today. You've been um, an addict. You've been in an addiction. You've been going on and on with it. You're saying, you know, it's not my time yet to step out of it. I'm telling you, the alarm clock is going off for some of you. God's timing is going, the clock's going off. It's time for you to step out of that. There's a time for submission. There's a time to come under leadership and say, you know what? I, I don't necessarily agree or know everything that this, this, this pastor is preaching on or saying. I don't know if I agree with all of that. But there's a time to come into submission under people and say, I'm going to come under your authority. I'm going to submit my life to you. I'm going to serve in this church because I believe your accountability is ultimately to God. There's a time for you to go to people that you have cut life off from. And to return to them and say, you know what? The time for me to, to have this gap between us, that time is gone. What can I do to restore this gap? There's a time to swallow your pride. God's clock's going off for a lot of people in this place. The alarm clock's ticking. Listen, it's going off. There's a time to leave. There's a time to stay. There's a time to sow. There's a time to reap. There's a time to, to gather and there's a time to sow as much as we possibly can. There's a time to love. Is, is this the time where you open yourself up more than what you've done before and say, you know what, I don't necessarily agree with your lifestyle, with everything that you're doing, but I'm going to love you irrespectively. I don't, I'm going to love. It's time to change. There's a time for change and it's happening. It's right now. You just have to determine, you have to determine what clock is going off in your life. Because it's not the same for every, any one of us. It's different. And the only way you can figure it out is when you go to Him. Same way Daniel did. My God knows. My God knows what time it is. He knows. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church Audio Podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the Word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.